Well, good morning, everyone. It is really lovely to be with you in Fitzroy today at your annual PW service. And thank you very much for the invitation to come and for your warm welcome. And it's lovely, just great to meet up with Steve and Janice and hopefully the girls later on. And I'm delighted that you are all settling in so well to, with the good folk here at Fitzroy. I was saying to Janice earlier, it looks as if the folk are just embracing you. And I know that you appreciate that. And we miss you in Fisherwick. But then you're only up the road and we'll hear you this evening, Steve. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you to all who have led us so thoughtfully in our worship today. There are now 28 deaconesses. I'm not sure, is it 27, 28, 33? There's 28 of us, I think, serving within our Presbyterian church in Ireland in congregations, the South Belfast Friendship House, as we've been hearing, and chaplaincy teams in five hospitals, the Northern Ireland Hospice and McAbury Prison. There are also six trainee deaconesses, one in her probationary year, and the other five in full-time study at Union Theological College. Now, all of us receive much encouragement and support from the entire church. However, it is the Board of Mission in Ireland, the presbyteries and the congregations and the teams we each serve in, and of course the PW, who take a particular and a specific responsibility for us. So this morning, may I say a very, very big thank you for all of your ongoing faithful financial support and committed prayer partnership with us. It is so greatly appreciated and so greatly needed too. Now, it certainly doesn't seem like 19 years since I moved from Belly Henry Congregation, just on the edge of Glengormley, where I'd served for six and a half very happy years to join the Belfast City Hospital chaplaincy team. And maybe that's because the hospital is an ever-changing environment, where I'm constantly meeting new people, where each one is unique and different with their own particular story. The hospital itself has come a long way since its humble beginnings as a few sick rooms in Belfast workhouse of the early 1800s. The infrastructure these days continues to modernize and to change rapidly. The new and very impressive state-of-the-art regional cancer treatment center built and equipped at a cool 60 million of your money and mine was officially opened three years ago this month. There are 84 inpatient beds in the unit, with a further 28 in the separate Glenview Patient Hotel, which provides a kind of B&B-style accommodation for patients who live at a distance and require daily radiotherapy treatments. Yet another 225 outpatients receive radiotherapy every day as well as another 150 outpatients who receive chemotherapy treatment daily in the Bridgewater Suite 
opened some years ago in the tar block. And that's not counting all of the other outpatients, inpatients, and day procedural patients throughout the whole hospital. The increasing numbers of people who are being either examined or diagnosed or treated or reviewed on a daily basis reflects some of the amazing advances and developments in medicine and research and clinical practice and healthcare generally. Chaplaincy services too need to keep pace if we are to move confidently and credibly in this kind of professional multidisciplinary setting. And while we face many new challenges, our daily challenge is to remain true to the essence of our calling from God and the distinctiveness of our service for him. The four main religious denominations, the Church of Ireland, the Methodist, the Roman Catholic and the Presbyterian, make up the full-time and part-time membership of the chaplaincy team. And I work alongside the Reverend Brian Hughes, who has been the full-time Presbyterian chaplain for the past 11 years. Believe it or not, we have 45 different denominations and religions and none registered at the city. The Methodist chaplain initially visits the ODs, and for us, that means other denominations and faiths. But for other hospital staff, of course, ODs means overdoses. Sadly, however, we visit with all too many of these dear folk as well. There's a quiet room on level one of the cancer centre, open 24-7, designed and set aside as a place for prayer and quiet reflection for peoples of all faiths and none. We also hold regular weekly services of Christian worship there and a group of Muslim staff also use it daily and have their community prayers there every Friday at lunchtime. The church on level A in the tar block is much more recognisable as a Christian church and is a place too where many people pass through and take a moment just to reflect and to pray. We have worship services there each Sunday morning and as you might imagine the attendances at our 9.30am interdenominational service varies from week to week with patients being sent home over the weekends and a general apathy around and other factors too. These have contributed to fewer attending over the years. However, we feel we have a ministry to those who are interested in coming. And we're very grateful to faithful volunteers who assist those interested patients to and from the church. June Pat Gamble was one of those faithful volunteers over many years. And indeed, if anyone's interested this morning in helping us, we would be only too glad to have that help. Miss Rainey Palin, one of your members as well, has been our organist for the past 15 plus years. I don't know if Rainey has made it back from the city hospital. She's there faithfully every Sunday morning. And we appreciate Rini's very loyal and consistent ministry with us. Rini also played for our worship services in the 
Wakehurst Elderly Care Unit and the Windsor House Community Day Hospital. But these facilities sadly have now been closed just last year as part of the plan to review elderly care and mental health services and to transfer more health care services now out into the community. These days with medical interventions and surgical techniques becoming more high tech, a patient's stay in hospital has correspondingly got so much shorter and indeed often delivered now through day procedure units. Those people who stay longer than a day or two can either be more seriously ill or are waiting patiently or indeed maybe impatiently for surgery. Some older folk are waiting for that bed out in the community, usually a residential or a nursing home or indeed a care package set up for their own home. The Healthcare Christian Fellowship, which has prayer groups in most of our hospitals, present a very challenging statement on its literature. There are more people who pass through the world's hospitals and healthcare facilities than through the world's churches. So hospital chaplaincy, I feel, presents that unique opportunity to draw alongside people, lots of people. Of the overall annual 26,500 plus inpatient admissions at the city, around 75% are willing to see a chaplain. However, that percentage is decreasing year on year. Many of the folk whom Brian and I see as the Presbyterian inpatients do have church connections. And with their permission, we will link them up with their own congregation for the prayerful and practical support that they need. Sometimes we have the opportunity to reconnect people to a church that they've drifted away from, or indeed to link people into a new congregation or church fellowship, and we were able to do that several times during this past week. However, in our increasingly secular society, we're finding that around 50% of the people we visit have no meaningful nor indeed current church connection at all. And many of them aren't much interested in having any either. They may be listed as Presbyterian, but when we visit with them, we discover they've given up on church a long time ago. People who have become indifferent to or alienated from the church. So Brian and I and the other chaplains too would value prayer as we seek to be pastorally relevant for each individual. Every day at the patient's bedside, I find myself entering into people's lives when they feel particularly vulnerable and anxious. So many are questioning and searching as they experience illness in all of its complexity. And whether they have a religious affiliation or none, People often ask quite profound spiritual questions about the meaning and the purpose and the value of life. So as I come alongside them on this journey, I am seeking to establish trust, to create space, to give respect, to empathize, 
to enable people to openly and honestly express their deepest concerns, their doubts, their fears, their anger, their guilt, that emotional and spiritual pain, which sometimes becomes an issue because of their illness or a bad diagnosis or prognosis. Most of my time with people then involves listening. And hopefully that's an attentive, perceptive listening, which doesn't so much offer advice, but helps people clarify their concerns and their innermost thoughts, and then supports them as they face the reality of their situation and as they try to cope with any changes their illness or their trauma brings. I cannot answer all the whys and the wherefores that rise up in people's minds and hearts because I'm just as human as the next person. I too wrestle with the mysteries of pain and suffering and life and death. However, I can. And I do endeavor to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless and perfect wounded healer, our light in the darkness and our hope in despair, to locate in him their source of comfort and strength and peace. The Reverend Norman Otten, one-time chaplain of St. George's Hospital in London, in his book, Pastoral Care in Hospitals, says this, our ministry is to bear the unbearable, to share the unshareable, to enter into the heart of shattering pain with something more shattering still. So prayer, I believe, is a very significant signpost on this journey and very often it will be the most natural and usually welcome outcome of a time of sharing. I will always ask people if they would like me to pray. And there are those who say, no, I prefer you wouldn't. I've had a few replies, well, if it makes you feel any better, by all means, go ahead and have a wee prayer. But many people will tell me how much the prayer support of family and friends and church family means to them when they just haven't got the energy to pray for themselves. I believe, too, that it's important to pray with integrity. And so to pray for a dying patient's recovery isn't the kindest thing for the patient, nor for their family who watch and wait, because it doesn't enable them to let go. So there are times when I pray that God would give release from the struggle of the body, giving to that person peace of mind and heart and spirit, a healing that is so much greater than a physical cure. Prayer often brings a sense of relief as the tears will flow freely, a release of all of the pent-up feelings, and sitting quietly alongside as the tears flow provides that place and space for the ministry of God's Holy Spirit and says far, far more than words could ever express. Indeed, the whole experience of serious illness can really shake a person to their very core. 
and a silent, prayerful companion who will sit by their side and gently hold a hand and just be there is often what is valued most. A crisis of illness will sometimes bring about a different attitude and a whole new perspective on life. For some, a new hope is enlivened as they grow and mature as a person, even through their adversity. Some people discover the Lord Jesus in new and deeper ways. Some commit their lives to him for the very first time. A gentleman told me that his diagnosis of cancer had made him think about the fragility and the brevity of life. I always believed in God, he said, but now I trust him. Now I know him as my saviour and friend, and that makes a world of a difference to me and to my future. And the lady lady in the cancer centre not that long ago said this, I want to find Christ but I don't know how. Will you help me? And every single day I am reminded, and indeed I am so very thankful, that this is the Lord's work, and he does it in his most amazing and wonderful ways. Frequently, I discover how helpful scripture verses can be for someone trying to make sense of their experience. Even those who find the language of the Bible unfamiliar find real insight and great comfort from the Psalms or the words of Jesus from the Gospels. And we're grateful to the Gideons who recently replenished all the New Testaments with Psalms. We also offer a chaplaincy prayer booklet to patients and we're quite relieved and very pleased that our next supply order of booklets which the hospital couldn't provide for us are now being sponsored by the City Hospital Association of Friends. We also have some Bibles in different languages as our international community at the hospital increases all the time. Our pastoral ministry, again, quite naturally, also extends to many of the patients, the relatives and the friends. And we often find ourselves supporting those who watch and wait anxiously in the intensive care units or indeed anywhere in the hospital where we might be called in to be with the families of those who are critically ill or dying. Standing alongside people in their helplessness their powerlessness, and their vulnerability. The staff in all of our hospitals do a marvellous job with great skill and commitment and care. Of course, for so many, it's much more than just a job. It's a vocation. It's a calling where they find a great deal of satisfaction and reward in helping others. But every day, Staff are facing heavy and demanding workloads and painful human situations. Accident and emergency staff, for example, are dealing with more and more substance abuse and suicidal attempts and sometimes getting a lot of verbal abuse and maybe physical abuse along the way. In healthcare generally, there's pressure to meet higher and higher expectations and standards. Increasingly complex ethical dilemmas arise as medical science and technology 
push new boundaries. Health and social care services have been undergoing major radical review and restructuring. Three years ago, the City Hospital joined with five other trusts to become the new Belfast Health and Social Care Trust. And I hear there are more challenging changes on the way. But all of this restructuring is meant to unravel the layers of bureaucracy, to reduce administration, to improve services, and of course, to save money. But we wait to see. It seems to me that this whole process of rationalising is much more task-orientated than people-orientated. Some are embracing the changes positively. Others are much more cautious. There are many more staff who are very disillusioned and their morale is really low. The underfunding, the imposed efficiencies, the constant changes and the continuing cuts in the overall allocations of funds is taking its toll and it's overstretching the staff and their goodwill. And as chaplains, we seek to encourage the staff and the students too to lend that listening ear and our prayerful support. Staff will regularly drop by at the chaplaincy for a chat or to talk over a problem and to ask for prayer. We see them around the wards and the departments all of the time. We also have our part to play in some of the multidisciplinary groups. But we're not involved in any of the ward rounds or the team meetings as hospice chaplains are in their situation. Our existing model of chaplaincy would have to change, but we may have to consider that challenge in the future. Today, may I commend to your prayers, folks here at Fitzroy, all the health and social care staff, and I know you have many of them dotted around your congregation, people whom you know. Will you pray for them? Healthcare staff right across our wider community, not just in the hospital, but GPs and surgeries and so on, dentists and so on. Please ask those whom you know personally how best you can pray for them. I reckon they will very much appreciate your interest and your informed interest and concern and your prayer support. Now for some very good news as we close, and I'm sure you're itching to get over to Union College for some soup and cheese and so on. Our God is a compassionate God who has chosen to be God with us. In Jesus, he came to live in solidarity with us, sharing in our joys and our pains, suffering all of life with us. God's immense, inexhaustible and unfathomable love was revealed when Jesus was touched and moved to the very core of his being. As he looked at and listened to the needs of the people around him, Jesus' compassion was a suffering with and alongside. And it was out of this divine compassion that he fed the hungry and restored the sight to the blind and healed the leper. His deep compassion not only identified with and met people's needs, but it also brought newness of life 
and revealed the Father's tender love, his extraordinary care, and his nearness. And this is the good news, which the Lord not only wants us to know and to experience in our own hearts, but then as his disciples, to live it out wherever he has placed us. Jesus said, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. A new commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you. A radical call and a radical command that begs the question, how much do we really care about one another, about our brothers and sisters everywhere, and about the world out there as it passes by? Thank you for all that you're doing here in Fitzroy. It was really inspirational to listen to the family focus time and what's going on and what your plans are and come to Fisherick tonight to hear some of what's going on in the wider community. And we're supporting the wider world as we have lunch together. Keep it up, Fitzroy. God desires to fill our hearts and our hands with his compassion, that we would selflessly make that real difference because compassion not only cares and acts, but it brings new life, all things new, and a fresh new hope to a needy and to a broken world. I'm not sure who penned these words, but let me conclude with them. Christ has no body now on earth but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes through which must look out Christ's compassion on the world. Ours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Ours are the hands with which he is to bless everyone now. Lord, please give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your word this day.